Good morning. A few years ago, I had the privilege of working in hospice care. And I worked with many patients that suffered due to um, illnesses, uh, primarily, and others due to old age. And in my time working with these patients, I got to experience and witness the way that a lot of people spent their last days in this world. Some were filled with bitter, bitterness and anger because they felt like their life had been wasted. They wished that they could go back and do things differently. Others, though, who I had the privilege of coming alongside and encouraging with the word, I always found them to be joyful and at peace, even though they knew that their time was coming to part and be with the Lord, they experienced this joy in spite of the difficult season of life that they were in and the many trials that they had experienced in their body. They were filled with joy because they knew that everything was going to be okay. Things were going to get better. I want to ask you this morning, how do you respond to the experiences of this fallen world? How do you respond when you find yourself in a trial or a difficult situation? Do you grumble or complain and question God because things aren't going your way, because you aren't comfortable, because you aren't happy? Or do you experience peace in the midst of suffering because you know that everything is going to be okay? This morning we will be looking at the life of a man who experienced many hardships in his life, many difficulties, many trials, but who was able to go through them with a quality of life that involved the true sense of happiness and joy because of what he valued most in life. This morning, we'll be going through Philippians chapter 1, and I invite you to uh, turn there with me, and we will be reading verses 18b through 26, the second part of 18 through 26. And as we saw last time, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians as a thank you letter for their care and for their concern for him. And today we'll see that Paul also wrote this letter to comfort them and to clarify that the suffering that he had just finished writing about in the preceding verses was not something that they needed to worry about. It was quite the opposite. His suffering gave, them, gave him reason to rejoice. This is what the Apostle Paul wanted the Philippians to know then, and this is what he wants us to know today. So, Philippians 1, 18-26. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life 
or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This brings us this morning to our main point, and if you're taking notes today, Scripture reveals that the source of joy in suffering is found in living a Christ-centered life. The source of joy in suffering is found in living a Christ-centered life. And we see that this joy flows from three different places. One is by living for the honor of Christ, and we see that in verses 19 through 20. Second, living in utter devotion to Christ, verses 21 through 24. And third, living for the fame of Christ, verses 25 and 26. Now, Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, once again, as a thank you card, as a thank you letter, thanking them for their generosity, for their partnership, for their care for him. Because they knew that Paul was imprisoned in Rome because of his defense and proclamation of Jesus Christ in the gospel. They knew that Paul was imprisoned. And you can imagine what it would be like for one of your loved ones to be imprisoned, where it's not the most desirable place to be, where one's liberty is stripped from them, where you do not have the commodities that you have as a free person outside of prison. And so we can picture the Philippians being worried about Paul. I wonder how he is. I wonder if he's eating well. I wonder if he's, um, if he's provided for. So they sent uh, provision, financial provision for him. And our passage this morning tells us that Paul wrote to them to clarify that his situation, though it was undesirable, was actually a good thing because it was serving to advance the gospel. And this is what we saw in the previous uh, passage, that God was using Paul's imprisonment to advance the gospel. And we saw that God was doing this mainly by spreading the news of Jesus Christ, spreading that Paul was imprisoned for the cause of Christ. The gospel was also being advanced because Christians in Rome were being uh, emboldened to preach the gospel without fear. And today, we find that Paul's situation, where he was waiting to come um, before the authorities um, and the trial to make a defense of the gospel, would be used to continue advancing the gospel. Now, In verse 18, we find Paul beginning by saying, Yes, and I will rejoice. 
Before we tackle the passage, it would be helpful to define what is joy? What is biblical joy? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, according to Paul in Galatians 5.22. And it is a fruit of the Spirit that is produced in everyone who repents of their sin and trusts in Christ for salvation. In other words, it's a mark that distinguishes followers of Christ. According to one dictionary of theology, joy is a gift of God. It is also a delight in life that runs deeper than pain or pleasure. Joy is a quality of life that is grounded in God Himself and flows from Him. In the Old Testament, one of the common words for joy is associated with God's acts of salvation, which was then celebrated in their festivals. In the New Testament, we find that the word to rejoice is also used in reference to God's salvation. And when used in light of suffering, the word carries a redemptive purpose for the glory of God. So joy is what a Christian experiences when he or she is saved, when he or she is brought to be at peace with God. This is God's doing, and it's dependent upon an understanding of God's saving work and an understanding of God's provision in His Son, Jesus Christ. Joy is not just a feeling, rather it's a quality of life. So Paul wrapped up the last um, section in verse 18 by saying that he rejoiced at the fact that Christ was proclaimed because it meant that Christ's mission of bringing the good news of salvation to the lost was taking place. It was advancing. And now Paul was rejoicing at his future outcome. In verse 18b, we read, Yes, and I will rejoice. So now having looked at what joy is, let's look at the first of the three ways that Christians experience joy. The first way is by living for the honor of Christ. Living for the honor of Christ. We read this in verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Living for the honor of Christ begins by longing and hoping for the honor of Christ. And this longing and this hoping for Christ's honor began in Paul's life at the moment of his salvation. You see, Paul was a religious man. Paul was one who followed all of the, uh, all of the laws that were given to him. Paul was one who excelled and did what was above and beyond that what was required of him. And Paul thought that he knew God, but little did he know that he was far off from God. He worshipped God with his lips, but his heart was far from him. But Christ found Paul. Christ intervened in Paul's life. And from that moment forward, 
where Christ presented himself and opened Paul's eyes so that he would see his need for Christ, he was given a new mission. He was given a new heart. And this heart had new desires which came with longings and hopings for Christ to be honored. Paul understood that this world was fallen and in opposition to Christ. But his longings for Christ, for Christ's honor, for Christ's glory, came from an understanding of what Christ had done for him on the cross. You see, Paul, like every other person in this world, um, Pastor Jeremy walked us through Romans chapter 1, how we were all deserving of God's wrath, deserving to be separated from God for an eternity because of our rebellion against Him, because of our rejection of Him. But Christ came into this world to seek and to save the lost by laying down His life to save all those who would turn from their sins and turn to Him. And so Paul, having experienced this transformed heart, having experienced this salvation experience, then began to love this Christ who gave his life for Paul. But how was this desire to honor Christ, to be, how was this to be accomplished? Well, Paul tells us that this was to be accomplished through prayer and the Spirit. In verse 19, we read, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. This situation that Paul found himself in, being imprisoned for Christ, for the cause of protect, um, for protecting the gospel, for glorifying Christ, by preaching Christ, Paul knew that this would turn out for his deliverance. That this would turn out for God's glory. And this would happen as the Philippians interceded for him. You see, Paul knew that prayer in the life of a Christian plays an important role. See, a lot of times, prayer is seen as speaking, but then not trusting that our requests will be heard or answered. But Paul understood, Paul knew that the prayers of the Philippians would be heard by God, and as a result, God would supply Paul with the Spirit so that he would not be ashamed, so that he would honor Christ at, at his defense of the gospel when he would stand in trial uh, defending Christ and making a case for the gospel. Christian, I want to ask you this morning, how seriously do you take the call to prayer. Because we will give ourselves to what we value, to what we know is important. Are you quick to bring your prayers and concerns to God? Asking God to intervene and to answer you for His glory and for your good? Are you willing and open to ask for others to pray for you because you trust that God will work through their prayers. You see, Paul knew that prayer was an important part of the Christian's life and he knew that 
through their prayers, God would answer and supply the Spirit so that He would not be ashamed and so that He would honor Christ. Paul tells us also that joy comes from living in utter devotion to Christ. Living in utter devotion to Christ. In verses 21 through 24 we read, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. What does it mean to live in utter devotion to Christ? What does it mean that Christ was to be honored in Paul's life? Well, Paul tells us that to live in utter devotion to Christ is to treasure Christ above all. If you look at verse 21, he says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul knew that his life was not his own anymore. His life belonged to Jesus Christ. And whatever Christ said was, Christ, was Paul's desire. Look at the way that Paul describes himself here in Philippians 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul understood that he was not his own boss, that he did not call the own shots to his own life. Paul understood that he was to live under the authority and in submission to Christ, that Christ was his all, that Christ's will was his will, that Christ now lived in him, and everything that um, Paul desired was now to do the will of Christ, to be sold out for the glory of of Christ. And in verse 23 we read, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. <clears throat> Paul's greatest treasure in this world was Christ. Christ was his everything. If he had Christ, he was Joyful, regardless of his circumstances, regardless of where he found himself, regardless of what he was experiencing, he trusted in God's sovereign plan to use whatever circumstance he found himself in to bring God glory. And if that meant suffering for the cause of Christ, Paul was more than happy to endure this because his desire was to bring honor to Christ by being utterly devoted to Christ. We will give ourselves to the things that we value most. I remember when I was younger and I used to collect sneakers. I used to do crazy things in order to obtain these sneakers. I used to camp out for a week just to get the sneakers that I treasured, that I prized, that I deeply wanted. And it didn't matter if I wanted to 
if I had to spend the night in the rain or in the cold, in order to obtain this treasure, I would do whatever I, I could to obtain it. Well, here Paul was willing to endure and to experience anything for the cause of bringing honor to Christ because he treasured Christ above all because he knew that this world was fleeting and passing and this world would soon come to an end. But as long as he had Christ, he had everything. So Paul defined giving his life to Christ as treasuring Christ above everything. If you're visiting us this morning, we're happy that you're here with us today. I want to ask you, what are you living for? What drives you in the morning to go to work or to go to school or to do the things that you do? Is it the desire to make money? Is it the desire for success? Is it the desire to accumulate material goods? What drives you to get up in the morning? While these things can be good in their proper place, you have to understand that these things were created by God and they, were, they are gifts of God given to fulfill purposes, but they were never given to us for us to worship and to find our hope and joy in. And you can give yourself to wanting to accumulate these things. But the truth is, that if you haven't already experienced it, these created things, if you put your hope and you make these things your treasure, will not bring true and lasting joy. It will bring a temporal joy. And it will leave you craving and longing for more. And the reason for that is that you were created by God and for God to live for God, to live for His will, to live to please God and obey Him, to be in right relationship with Him. And until you have that, your soul will not be satisfied. Paul understood this, that as long as he had Christ and he lived for Christ, he, that he would be happy, that he would rejoice, that he would experience this state of joy regardless of what he experienced. Christ offer this, offers this to everyone who would repent of their sins and trust in Him. He offers full forgiveness if you repent of your sins and you place your trust in Him. Now it's one, one thing to say that we trust Christ above all, but it's another thing to live it out. So what does it look like Practically. Well, Paul's actions reveal that treasuring, treasuring Christ above all will result in putting Christ's interest above your own. Putting Christ's interest above your own. You see this in 22 through 24 and 24. He says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Here Paul gives a hypothetical um, example. He says, if I have the choice between living and dying, which one would I choose? Well, for Paul, this is a win-win situation. 
Because for him to live is to live to please his master, Jesus Christ. And to die is to come to meet his master and to have him and obtain him fully. But here now, Paul writes that his desire is to be with Christ, but it is better for him to remain. Why? Because it was necessary for him to to build up God's people by having fruitful labor for him. Paul says, which, I sh- which shall I choose? I cannot tell. He says, this is a win-win situation. Both of these, to live or to die, are rooted in Christ. Whether to live, his desire is to live for Christ. Whether to die, he gains Christ. He gains what he desires most in this life. And so for Paul, it was far better to die and be with Christ. But what he is not advocating for is to escape the problems and the trials of this world by seeking death. What Paul is saying here is, if I were, to, if I were given the choice between life and death, they're both good because I will either advance my master's purposes by having fruitful labor or I will get my master himself. This is one thing that changes for a, for a Christian when a Christian comes to know Christ. Death no longer becomes something to fear. Paul here helps us understand that death becomes a means to which obtaining to which we obtain our master. Why? Because Christ took the sting out of death. He experienced God's wrath upon himself so that when the Christian dies, we no longer have to fear being separated from God for an eternity and waiting to be judged because Jesus Christ has already experienced this. So that when the Christian dies, we will be with Christ forever. But here Paul is saying, if I were to be given the choice, they're both good. But it is more necessary on your account for me to remain alive. So here Paul puts Christ's desires above his own. Christ desires us to build his church, to build a people for himself, for his glory. And Paul gives himself to this by saying, if the Lord delivers me, 